Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibel, and today I'm talking with Katie Simpson-Smith. Katie is the author of We Have Raised All of You, The Story of Land and Sea, and her latest fiction novel, Free Men. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. So what inspired you to sort of write fiction and historical fiction? I have been writing fiction since I was very little, um, but never quite took it seriously as a career option. Um, and so I pursued history as kind of an alternative way to tell these kinds of stories that I was so fascinated by. Um, so I went to get my Ph.D. in history um, and worked for a while on a historical project. Um, but the more I was working on that, the more I realized that the kind of stuff I wanted to know, which was how people were thinking and feeling and how they fell in love, um, that kind of stuff wasn't easily available in the historical record, especially for people on the margins of, of American society. Um, and so slowly my interest in history sort of morphed back into fiction um, via historical fiction. Awesome. So once you had had written your your book, you have your first book, and then your second book was The Story of Land and Sea, how many agents did you query before you found the one you wanted to work with long term? So I went into this process not really understanding how it worked. Um, so when I started compiling a list of agents that I wanted to query, uh, I really just looked at the authors that I most admired and tried to figure out who represented them. So I put together mm-hmm. a first list uh, of about eight agents, um, and I sent my one-page query letter out to all of them uh, and then thought, you know, what, what have I done? I have, like, launched this thing into the <laughs> void, and I may never hear back from anyone, and that's totally fine. Um, but I was really lucky uh, in that a week after I sent out my queries, one of the agents wrote back and said that he um, would love to read more of the manuscript. And, and after he read the manuscript, he said he would love to work with me. So how long did you work on your book with your agent before you decided to move forward and submit it to publishing house editors for consideration? So we worked on it together um, for about three weeks, so not too long. Um, He had some Mm -hmm. wonderful suggestions about things that could be um, sort of crunched up a little bit in terms of the narrative and ways to make the characters a little bit stronger. Um, So we worked with it sort of mainly tweaks uh, for about three weeks, and then he said it was ready to be sent out. So once... Once you had submitted the story of Land and Sea to publishers, how long was it before you had heard back from them? So this is really the crazy part. He submitted it on a Friday um, and was really good about saying to me, like, we're not expecting anything. Like, don't get your hopes up. We could, it could be months before we hear back from anyone. Uh, but Monday morning, um, he had heard back from 10 of the editors that he had submitted to, and they all wanted to meet wow. with me. And so he called me up and said, can you get on a plane to New York tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. So you fly out to New York, and is there sort of this, like, pre-meeting before the actual auction? Yeah. um, And so he set up meetings with these 
10 editors. Um, and I you know, marched around New York City with my little notebook and got to go into these grand publishing houses, you know, even like walking into the lobby of Random House. It's such an amazing experience because you know, there are books all over the walls. Um, I felt very intimidated and, and scared. Um, and my agent had to keep reminding me that, you know, they're auditioning for you as much as you're auditioning for them. Um, so we had meetings uh, with all of them that lasted maybe about 45 minutes each. Um, and they talked to me about what they liked about the book, and they talked to me about what kinds of revisions that they would suggest. Um, so it's really a chance to get to hear about their vision for the book and to figure out whose vision most aligned with the version of the book that I wanted to publish. Absolutely. So you really get to kind of, you get to know each editor individually and what their plan is for the book. Did you know right off the bat that there was, you know, ones that you were more leaning towards? Yeah. um, And it's a really hard thing to quantify, but you just get a feeling from someone that, um, that they're sort of sympathetic to the way that you write and the way that you imagine this, this sort of fictional universe. Um, So I was able to, you know, and, and, Two, being intimidated, I, I was um, very nervous about, you know, wanting to make a good impression myself. Um, but by the end of the week, I was a little bit less nervous and was able to say, these are all just ordinary people who love to read books. You know, they aren't scary monsters. Um, and they really were all incredibly down-to-earth um, and kind and really, really smart. Um, so I knew that no matter what happened, I was going to be in really good hands. And it must be sort of surreal. I mean, you've worked so hard on this book and, and put it out yeah. and you were kind of, you know, timid and, and I'm worried that an agent wouldn't be interested in here. You have 10 different editors fighting for your book. Yeah, and it's, and they're talking about this thing that you've written in isolation for a year and you haven't shown it to anyone except your agent. Um, and then there's these 10 strangers, brilliant strangers, who have all these ideas about it. And it's just, it's very humbling um, in the way that, you know, things that you were, were working on at home uh, alone, that you're just making up, that they're suddenly taking seriously. Um, it's really, really marvelous feeling. Wow. Well, everyone, you're listening to Literary Speaking with Krista Lee Quibel, and today we're talking with author Katie Simpson-Smith. When we come back, Katie will share with us how long it took to publish the book once she began working with her editor at HarperCollins, and we'll tell you how you can win a free copy of her latest book, Free Men. We'll be right back. Your story is begging to be told, but do you know where to start? Crystal Lee Quibell is dedicated to helping you achieve your book publishing dreams. Go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com, and sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter today. Welcome back to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, and we're continuing our conversation today with author of We Have Raised All of You, The Story of Land and Sea, and Free Men, Katie Simpson-Smith. Katie, how once you've met with the editors, what happens next? So in an auction, there are two different kinds of auctions that can happen for books. Um, one of them is called um, a round robin, where people um, submit their bids for a book uh, and then um, continue to submit sort of better bids and the uh, people who are bidding less eventually sort of drop out. Um, but that kind of auction can take uh, place over several days or even weeks. 
Um, and so my agent decided that he really wanted to sort of wrap everything up by the end of this week that I was meeting with people. Um, so he did what's called a best bids auction. And that means that each editor has just one chance to place a bid, um, their best bid, and then um, whoever wins, wins. Um, and so uh, all this happened on Friday of that week. Um, so the 10 editors placed their bids by, I think, 11 a.m., um, and then he informs the top three that they're the highest bidder and they get a chance to raise their bids if they want. Uh, and then he told me, uh, I was not allowed to be in the room for any of this. Uh, so he told me to go wander oh. the streets of New York City and entertain myself <laughs> and don't think about it. And I was like, sure, I just won't think about it at all. <laughs> um, and then he said he would call me around noon to let me know what had happened. Um, so I remember I was sitting in at a picnic table in Bryant Park um, trying to read a book and, you know, reading the same sentence over and over again with my phone sitting next <laughs> to me. Um, and then he called me and told me sort of who the highest bidders were. Um, and then he reminded me that in an auction, you don't have to go with the highest bidder, um, that it's a way for publishers to sort of express their interest in you, um, but you're totally free to choose the editor who you felt most sort of aligned with creatively. Um, and that was that was a relief because I thought, oh, gosh, you know, what if one of the editors that I didn't um, mesh as well with wins the auction and then I'm sort of, you know, her property for the rest of my life and it doesn't work like that at all. <laughs> um, so that was a relief. Uh, so the fortunate thing was that the editor that I sort of most fallen in love with that week was the editor who ended up winning the auction. Um, so we didn't have any hard decisions to make. It was just like that's, that's the editor that I totally want to be with. Um, and that was Terry Carton at HarperCollins. Um, so that was, that was a very, very exciting phone call to get. Um, and then later that afternoon, I met up with my agent, and we talked about sort of the step, next steps going forward. Um, and I got to talk to Terry on the phone, um, and she was so sweet. She was um, in a meeting but said that she wished that she could take a train to wherever I was and give me a giant hug, which was so sweet. Oh, that's so nice. I know. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and it just sort of goes to show the sort of general kindness that exists in New York publishing that I just didn't expect. You know, I thought they would be bloodthirsty and competitive. And in fact, <laughs> you know, they're just really nice people. Well, and they're just as passionate about your work as you are, and that's the nice thing. Yeah. You're working with somebody who, you know, champions so hard for your book, and they came in as the highest bidder, and, and you had a great connection. So what was it like to, you know, shift gears and now work with, you know, your editor with HarperCollins? Yeah, it was interesting because I had gotten used to sort of my agent's way of editing, um, and now I had a new person sort of uh, reading the novel very closely, um, which for the most part was just really exhilarating. Like I, again, I had shown it to so few people that to get that kind of close attention was, was really exciting for me. Um, so she had some really good ideas about, about a few points in the novel that, that could be strengthened. Um, and so we worked on edits for about a month um, before she decided that it was ready. Uh, and then it, and then it gets, shuffled into this production queue, which is a very, very long process, and I had no idea all the things that were entailed um, in publishing a book, you know, from designing the cover to coming up with a marketing plan um, to, you know, they're very eager to hear about your plans for social media, and my plans for social media were very minimal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting process in which all of these people suddenly come on board 
the project um, in various different departments. Well, and I think it, what was really interesting is, you know, um, Jane had sent me your book to review, and, and I started reading it, and I thought, I have to look this girl up. And when I looked, you had a website, but you aren't on social media. So how, you know, what are the benefits of that that, you're, that you find being a writer? Yeah. Did you make that choice to, to stay away? It's definitely a trade-off. Um, I think I had just, I'm, I'm one of those people that's always behind in terms of technology. Um, like I didn't get a cell phone until my first novel came out because my publicist was having conniption fits about being able to contact me. Um, so it's sort, of, it's sort of, you have to realize who you are as a person and, and figure out how to best promote your book in a way that is true to that. Um, and it turns out that who I was was not, you know, I've never been on Facebook and, um, and so, and so it wasn't as much of a conscious choice, but now that I'm more aware of how authors use social media, um, for better and for worse, I, I can see sort of how it can be a really useful tool for networking and for sort of putting yourself out there. Um, but that it's also can be very dangerous in terms of sort of sucking your time away, um, and getting distracted by all the chatter of the internet and, um, mm-hmm. You can you can also easily fall into this weird competitive space when you hear you know all the amazing things that other writers are doing that you know, um, and so I think it's it's just much easier for me to take a step back from all of that because um, it's easier to focus on the writing um, and to focus on what you yourself are doing. Um, but again, I think it's a person by person decision. Um, I think there are a lot of benefits, obviously, to social media, but. I'm pretty happy with with staying out of it for now. <laughs> so when it came time to you know market of land and sea, and then you know in, in terms of free men as well, how did they handle the marketing aspect? Did they take care of a lot of it for you, or were there things that you set up for yourself as well? Yeah. So what I did with the website, um, and I'm very lucky to have a brother who is extremely talented in everything computer related. Um, so he and I worked together to sort of come up with a template that I could um, pretty easily change and add events to and things like that. Um, and it was fun for me to work on the website because it's a way to sort of create your online presence um, but in a more static way. Like you're not expected to sort of constantly be adding, you know, blog updates or yes. whatnot. Um, so I could put it there and I could just sit there and exist <laughs> in the ether. Um, <laughs> and that was sort of more my speed. Uh, but the marketing team was really great at sort of um, – filling in all the other gaps. Um, and they were the ones who planned my book tours um, and who sent copies to you know, magazines and newspapers to be reviewed. Um, so I'm really lucky in that I wasn't expected to sort of take on a larger burden of that. Well, and I think, too, I mean, you had a beautiful layout in Vogue magazine. And even mm-hmm. with Free Men, you know, um, Tim McGraw was – posting a picture of it and saying that he was reading it. So it's really interesting to see an author who did not have a social media platform come onto the scene with these amazingly successful and beautifully written books and they're doing well. So, you know, I think it's great to hear stories like this where, you know, you don't have to be so involved in building a platform. You can certainly focus on, on writing the most beautiful work you can and putting it out there. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. So, you know, how how long was the process? I mean, you had of land and sea was sort of the the you know debut in in a sense, 
And mm-hmm. how long did it take from the time that they began you you know, you were done the editing after about a month. From then on, how long did it take from that process to to be available for pre-order and available in bookstores? So we sold the book the uh, first week of October in 2013 and then worked on edits with um, my editor through um, sort of mid-November. Uh, and then the book came out the following August. Um, wow. So uh, pretty long time, uh, and it's it's it was surreal to sort of watch this thing take shape. You know, to get the cover um, and to learn about their ideas for the interior layout, um, and and the thing that you've just been working on as a word document on your computer suddenly becomes a physical <laughs> object, <laughs> and it's yes. wild to watch that. You know, they send you the first galleys, and it's just like, wait, this is what I wrote, and it's like in this beautiful package now. <laughs> um, and I think that kind of long lead up to a publication is a good way to sort of very slowly realize what's happening to you and to your life. <laughs> um, well, so it gives you really, time to process. Yeah. Oh, really? It's really like a pregnancy, you know. Like there's yes. oh there's gosh. time to get ready for it, and then it's it's born, and, and, like and there's the growing pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's so interesting because even free men, anybody who looks at the book, I mean, it's got this gorgeous greenery on the cover and even the pages, like the way the pages are cut. And so it's not, it just feels like old world, you know, old south. And I loved that about it, too, with every little detail goes into it. And did you get a lot of input into that or was it more they came to you with ideas and you just kind of went with it? Yeah, so they give me choices in, at certain stages, um, and doing the cover is always fun. Um, I think it's probably more frustrating for them, but it's really fun for me because I get to say, oh, can you tweak that, and can you, like, adjust this a little bit? <laughs> they're like, sure, Katie. <laughs> um, but, like, one of the things about the cover of Freeman that I suggested was that they pull some of those tree branches in front of the lettering on the title. Um, I think that just makes it look so cool, like you're looking back into the forest at, at this you know, story that's about to take place. Um, so I'm lucky yeah. that they that they did sort of take my input into consideration because I know that doesn't always happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's really cool to see how how it evolves from the very first book you've written to to now. Um, if you could go back and tell your early writer self something before you went into the book auction and and before this all happened, what would you what would you tell her? What advice would you give her? I think I would I think I would tell myself um to take myself more seriously as a writer. I had, you know, been writing stories since I was six years old. Um, but always as a hobby, you know, never never as something that I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. Um and I think that was only because I didn't I didn't have a lot of examples of successful writers who were making it as a career. Um and so I, I think I shortchanged myself in terms of my own dreams. Um, because a lot of dreams we have when we're younger are um, sort of more fantastical. Like you want to be the prima ballerina or a, an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to remind yourself that those things are actually possible. Like you can be a prima ballerina um, if you work really, really hard. Um, and so I think by the time I got to this stage of publishing the book, I was just so overwhelmed that I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it as much as I could have because it it was the whole thing was just shocking that all of this was coming true. 
Um, so I think if I had taken myself more seriously as a writer, I would have felt like, okay, this is, this is, you know, what happens when you work really hard on something for most of your life. Like, you know, it's okay to sort of revel in this, in this success. Yeah, and really to celebrate each little milestone that you yeah. come across. And then the big milestones, it's like, you know, it's okay to celebrate it and pat yourself on the back and say you worked really hard yeah. and created something amazing. Um, what would you say was the best advice you've ever received about writing? I um, got some really good advice, advice about publishing from one of my mentors um, when he said that once your book is published, it sort of is cut off from you and it belongs to the world now. Um, again, very much like childbirth. <laughs> like this thing mm-hmm. that's been a part of you is now something that will be judged by other people. Um, and if you hold on to it too much, it can be really, really hard um, to sort of watch all of these various opinions and because you want to say, no, that's not what I was intending with that passage or, oh, you know, you're reading that character wrong. Um, but what's beautiful about publishing a book is that it becomes the property of all of these readers um, and all of their opinions are equally valid. Um, you know, the way they read into a scene or the meanings that they take from a book um, are often totally independent from what you intended. Um, but that's the beauty of fiction, you know, that we can find pieces in stories that are relevant to our own lives. Well, and really getting a chance to see what other people think and the discussions that they have around the book, things that you never sort of thought of while you were writing the characters. Is there, you know, do you find it it difficult to let go of the characters even when you've you've completed the book? You know, you say goodbye to everybody (laughs) in a way. Yeah, it's hard, and they do linger um, for a little bit. Um, I know with the new book, there there's various characters that people either strongly identify with or really um, don't care for as much. Uh, and as a writer, I sort of am deeply in love with all of them. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. when I hear someone say, you know, oh, such and such a character was you know, clearly the villain, I say, no, like he was a lovable person. <laughs> um, but again, you know, that, that's another case where you just have to let it go and say that this is taking on its own life in the world, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Absolutely. What would be the one message you hope people will take away from your stories, especially from free men? Oh, gosh. I think, um, I mean, free men is a lot about um, sort of the big dreams that people have uh, and sort of how you go about pursuing them. Um and, it, and it's sort of reminiscent of my own life in that I think we all have pretty big dreams, um, and some of them are submerged deep down in our hearts, um, but that there are moments in our life when we have an opportunity to really go after them, um, and those are the times when, you know, we have to sort of step up to the plate and see, like, am I going to be the kind of person who follows this wherever it may lead? Um, I think my books get into that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great message, Katie. I just, I want to thank you so much for being here today and thank you for writing the most beautiful fiction I've certainly read. I really enjoyed it and I hope everyone else will too when they pick up their own copy of Free Men and of Land and Sea. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you.
Excellent. Well, everyone, Katie Simpson-Smith can be found online at www.katie.simpsonsmith.com. You can win a free copy of Free Men by visiting my website at crystalleakweibel.com and sign up for my newsletter. Winners will be notified weekly on our Facebook page. And make sure you tune in next week for more tips and tricks on how to write and publish your book. Thank you for listening, and please do keep writing. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.